It's not that I don't want my wife to know I'm going to the doctor. I don't want her to know I'm going to this doctor. Well, this is the part of the show where I put in the little things from the later on in the show to get you to listen. But these, this time, honestly, are all completely fake. All completely fake. Completely fake. Hey, it's Dan Class. I'm in my garage. This is The Bitter's Pill, a podcast that I record. A podcast that I record that honestly usually takes too much time, and so, um, yeah. <laughs> Those really were fake. So anyway, hi, welcome to the uh, recording. Uh, uh, okay, so much, to, so much to talk about today with you, today with you. And I'm going to start by saying this. I have a doctor's appointment coming up in a couple of minutes. It's 10. And in fact, I'm not even sure what I'm thinking because I have a doctor's appointment at 10, uh, excuse me, at 11 o'clock. And it, it's now uh, 10.04. And I was hoping to talk to you for an hour. Now, simple math would, uh, yeah, that, that, that's not going to work. Because there's no way I can get to the doctor, get ready to go to the doctor, and go to the doctor in negative four minutes. Although the doctor is very close. And this is the first, this is the first time that I've made an appointment with a doctor that I have not wanted to tell my wife about. Typically, I mean, I suppose if it was some, like, adult situation. You know, you there there's certain appointments that you might not want to discuss with your wife, certain you know, down there situations. But this is a completely different situation. Now, what I I don't know what's wrong, but there's something going on with my left arm. I don't know what it is. It's not it's not pain per se, but I can't lift things like I used to be able to lift things with my left arm because there's some sort of short circuit in my left arm, in the forearm, somewhere in the nerves or the muscles or whatever of my left arm, unfortunately for me, my dominant arm, that I can't lift things. Like for, for you people that, that have worked out or work out or whatever, I can do a reverse curl. You know what that is, right? With my right arm. Now, listen, I'm a weakling. So this... You know, we're talking inches here, but I can do a reverse curl like I can pick up a pencil. Well, OK, pencil is bad. But, but basically, like just now, I was bringing in laundry detergent because I do the shopping. And as a test of my faulty left arm, I did a reverse curl. That's where you would. OK, I'm holding the jug and my fist is, you know, the back of my fist is pointing up the back of my fist, not my palm clenched in the fist. That's a regular curl, a reverse curl. So the back of my hand is facing up and bending at the elbow, right? Lift the bottle of detergent. And that engages your forearm musculars, right? So I can do that with the thing. One, two, three, right? I can do 10 reps, no problem. If I do the same exact thing with my left arm, and this has been going on now for like three weeks, I can't do it. And I don't mean like I can only do it once. I can't, there is some, something happened in my arm. Now, have I had some sort of blunt force trauma? No. Some sports injury? Hell no. Nothing has happened. Maybe I sleep on it funny. I think maybe I put, see, when I drive, I think I just noticed this the other day. I often will put my left arm on the door 
and then drive with my left hand. So maybe I've worn out over the years. Maybe I've been doing that for 25 years. How long have I been driving? I mean, I've been driving. Don't do the math, but let's face it. I've been driving for about 33 years. Um, maybe I've worn out my arm, right? Is that, is that possible at all? to wear out your arm from driving light? I have no idea. All I know is that I'm going to this doctor. Now, the reason I can't tell my wife I'm going to the doctor is a long time ago, and we talked about this a while ago, but my daughter, um, we're getting ready to go to preschool, and my daughter, of course, you know, nobody had their eyes locked on her. My daughter was really young at the time. I think she was only maybe two, let's say, right? So my daughter's two, and I leave her in the living room for 10 seconds and my wife is in the bathroom, you know, getting ready for work and we hear this thump and our daughter is crying and we go in and we think she's fractured her elbow somehow or whatever because she won't straighten her arm and she's crying and she says it hurts and she says it hurts, whatever. So my wife, I don't remember exactly how this works, but basically my wife gets a recommendation from someone she's working with, like her boss, I think it was at the time. And her boss at the time says, you've got to take her over uh, to Joby McGuire. Joby McGuire is the top medical group when it comes to this sort of thing. They are the medical group for all the sports teams, all the athletes, all the things. If you go to, what did I say they're called? Kobe McGuire. So we've got to take your kid to Kobe McGuire. Okay, that's great. So we call, we call Kobe McGuire, the medical group there, and they're very close to our house, I'll have you know. And we say, listen, do you have a doctor there, Kobe McGuire, that we've got a two-year-old, she's fallen, we don't think from very high because she wasn't on anything, she was literally standing in the living room watching Blue's Clues, and for 10 seconds I looked away, and then she somehow fell perfectly on her arm, some sort of pile driving action. I have no idea, but she clearly needs to see one of the doctors over there at Kobe McGuire. So they say, sure, no problem. So my wife and I take her over there and we meet the doctor. Doctor seems to know what he's doing and he examines my daughter briefly. And then they whisk her off to this other room and we go in there with her and they put a cast on her arm. Now, at some point in this exercise, I think we had called the pediatrician and the pediatrician wasn't our pedi- our pediatrician, who we love, whom we love, who we love, whom we love, uh, wasn't available. Dr. K. So I think in a panic, we ended up calling Kobe McGuire, right? I went to Dr. whatever his name was. I don't even know what his name was. I'm part of this medical group, right? So. So they put this lovely purple cast on my daughter and her arm still hurts. But they say, listen, we're going to leave this on for a couple of weeks and uh, she should be fine. It's probably, you know, it seems to be a tiny fracture the way, you know, we could x-ray her, I suppose. But blah, blah, blah. We're doing two weeks. OK. So we leave there. And then about an hour later, we get a call from Dr. K's fill in. I can't remember her name, but a a female pediatrician. And this female pediatrician, I wish I could think of her name. But anyway, so Dr. K's female fill-in, this wonderful doctor, calls and says, oh, listen, so I, you know, I'm filling in for Dr. K. And I guess they got a call that uh, you, uh, daughter and uh, arm and uh, pain or elbow. 
So we say, oh, yeah, it's all taken care of. But this is these are the symptoms. But we took her over to uh, Kobe McGuire and they put a cast on her and they said two weeks and they said she should be fine. So it's really nothing to worry about. And the doctor goes, take the cast off now. And we're like, but they just put it. We went to all the Dodgers go there. The Dodgers and the Lakers, they all go there for all their sport. Take the cast off now. Take your daughter to the nearest hospital and take the cast off now. So we, you know, we did, we. She gives us the address of a hospital very close by, so we don't have to go up to Cedars and go to the ER. We go to this tiny little hospital in the opposite direction, little company of Mary or little Mary's company or little St. Mary's had a little land. I don't know. But we go down to St. Company of Mary's, and we have to wait around a little while, obviously, because, you know, that's what happens. But anyway, they take the cast off right away. And the doctor who's there, who is a pediatric, pediatric doctor, says... Oh, yeah. I spoke to Dr. K's fill-in. Lovely doctor, what's her name? She told me what's going on. This sounds like washwoman's elbow. What do they call it? Washwoman's elbow? Nursemaid's elbow? Nanny's elbow? Basically, what happens is there's this common thing where if you yank a kid's arm too hard, which is not what happened, I promise, and I would tell you. But, But most commonly, if you yank a kid's arm too hard, it does some weird thing to their elbow. And it pops it out or something. And that's called nursemaid's elbow or it's got to be nursemaid's elbow, right? Well, she must have fallen on it in such a way that that happened. And again, I honestly, I would cop to pulling her arm too hard because, yeah, I just I would tell you. So the doctor says all we have to do and she's in pain, but I'm telling you, all I have to do is take her arm. I'm going to turn it a little bit this way. And it wasn't in some weird way. It was in a normal way. But he said, I got to turn it this way and I got to push her hand so it's up near her shoulder. And then I got to turn it back this way and I got to pull it back down. And there's going to be a little popping sound and then she's going to be fine. And we're like, "Mm, okay. Now, our tough as nails doctor or excuse me, our tough as nails daughter has been crying and whimpering pretty much nonstop since I heard the thud in the living room. So at this point, we are getting a little desperate. So the doctor does the thing. He turns her arms, her palm, I think, so it's facing her shoulder maybe or touches the shoulder and then turns it away perpendicular and and we do hear a little, you know. And then the doctor says to my daughter, does that feel better? And my daughter goes, yeah. And that was it. It was over. That, that It was over. But according to the pediatricians, if we had left the cast on there, that Toby Maguire guy put on, she basically could have lost function in her arm. Now what? Okay, it's my wife. Melissa, I'll tell you later. It's nothing important, but it's not it's nothing important. So anyway, so back to right several years later, eight years later, and Dan, yours truly, is losing some sort of function in his arm. And needs to go see an orthopedic guy. Now, our friends, we have these friends that apparently have a lot of uh, arm and leg orthopedic problems that they have to see a doctor, and they go to uh, Kobe McGuire. 
I almost said Tobey Maguire. They go over to Kobe Maguire to see their doctors for all that they swear by him. Our, our friend was in this huge car accident and she said, no, it, I wouldn't have function of my legs if it wasn't for them or whatever. Blah, 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 blah. But I know that Melissa would poop her little panties if she heard I was going over there. So what I did is I called my normal doctor, secret agent Dr. Sue to get a recommendation. And he, of course, because he's secret agent Dr. Sue, listen, Dr. Sue, I love you. You know I do. But he recommends this Beverly Hills celebrity orthopedic guy. Literally, his website is just clips of him on television talking about legs and arms and things and surgery and anything else. So he's one of these really, he's young and successful and good looking and he's on TV and he's a slut, right? And he doesn't take my insurance. He'll take my money and f- take the forms and send the forms off. But I know how that works. Not his fault. My insurance company, and we have good insurance, but the insurance company's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't have done that. So I call Toby McGuire Group. And I say, do you guys take my insurance I'm with Screen Actors Guild? And I think it's Blue Cross or Anthem or something like that. And they say, is it PPO? And I say, yes. And they say, yes, we do. And I'll say, I'll be right there. So I'm sneaking over down the hill to Kobe Maguire to get my arm functionality looked at. In a, I'm, I got to leave in about, a 15, in about a half an hour. So we're going to have to pick up our normal conversation later. But I'm going over to my wife's office to talk to her friend Rick because Rick is going to help me um, submit some proposals to, you know, like UCLA Extension or whatever to teach some courses. But then she's like, oh, maybe you could bring the dog. And I'm like, (laughs) yeah, sure. She's like, oh, you know, nobody's here at the office today. I'm like, yeah, well, that's easy for you to say because I just show up for right with the dog. And then you think it's cute that the dog's there because you love the dog. I don't love the dog. I, I the dog is one of my chores. So that's what she was just texting me was just a thought you can leave Hugo home if you prefer. Yeah, of course I prefer. Then taking him with me and getting him out of the car across Hollywood Boulevard and sneaking him through the parking lot and through Fresh and Easy to get my validation. And then across Hollywood, right past anorexic Spider-Man and all that crap. She hates doing that when she's by herself. I got to do it with a dog in a bag. No, thank you. So I've seen two strange things recently. Now, one of them, and this, you know, I can be kind of stupid. I'm walking around in the backyard the other day, and I notice in one of the trees, because my, my wife the other day saw one of the possums, but she saw it during the day. Now, we've never, I've never seen a possum during the day. I was watching an episode of Parks and Rec one time, and there was a possum in an episode of Parks and Rec that was around during the day, and it was sort of like my spellbreaker Parks and Rec was like, they're nocturnal. And here's a whole episode of Parks and Rec about how this possum is destroying people's uh, golf games because he's walking around the golf course. I'm like, I don't think so. Here in California, I don't know about Pawnee, but here in California, possums are nocturnal except when I go uh, take my son to robotics on Saturday morning and then they're sunbathing on the back wall. So we're on a little bit of 24-hour High alert. I was just taking a sip of my lemon water. That's part of my new weight loss program is plenty of lemon water. It's so refreshing. I'm going to be the prettiest little girl when I lose some weight. Oh, he has a pretty face. So 
So we're on high alert for, uh, for possums 24-7. And so I'm walking around the backyard because my, right again, one of my chores is to walk around the backyard waiting for Hugo to take a dump so I can pick it up so no one steps in it. And to make sure he pees so he doesn't pee in the house, even though honestly he hasn't peed in the house for a really long time. But that's one of my jobs. And that's fine. And I'm walking past this tree we have that grows uh, some sort of tiny orange or maybe they're kumquats, but I think they're like calamodian oranges or something. And there's this thing that I think is a possum because I'm really, listen, I'll be honest with you. I hate possums. You know that. This is not a secret. I hate them because they're ugly and they're slow and they're stubborn and they're slow and they're ugly and they scare me. And I think possums like I said, are nocturnal, but I think they sleep, and, and, and this might not be true. It might just be because I saw it in a cartoon. But don't possums sleep hanging from their tail? Is, is that at all possible that they, their tail is prehensile and they hang from it and sleep that way? <laughs> Basically, oh, I didn't take an allergy pill today. Darn it. Basically, right, right? So, therefore, it is possible that in some of these trees that I have, and we have these thick, bushy trees that are nice and dense in there that need to be trimmed back because inside there, during the day, every day could be families of possums hanging by their tails sleeping. So, I'm walking around, and I'm waiting for Hugo to do his thing, and I look up in a tree, and I think I see a possum hanging inside the kumquat tree, which really grows calamodian oranges. And I take a closer look, you know, uh, but it's not. It's some sort of big grouping of lint. And I think to myself, wow, that's really disgusting. It's a big bag of lint. There's a big lint bag, a big possum looking because it's about the color of a possum. It's that kind of gray, blackish, whitish, gray, right? Bag of lint posing as, an, as a possum hanging from the tree. And out of anti-possum disgust, I almost cut it down. But I don't have time, and I don't know where my little thingy is that I would use. I have this great green thing that has blades on the end. It's really long, and I use it to cut, you know, to prune trees. Well, I don't know where my tree pruner is, so I don't cut the fuzz opossum out of the tree. And it was only three days later when I saw some hummingbirds flying around trying to kill each other, because that's what they do, because hummingbirds are evil. But it wasn't until I saw the hummingbirds and I thought back to, oh, this is about the time of year that we found those two little hummingbird chicks that I realized it's a nest, you jackass. It's not a hummingbird nest, but it's probably a bird's nest. What what other system of weird ass who knows what would make a big sack looking thing of lint? It's probably a nest. There's probably eggs in there. So just take a chill pill. But it doesn't look like a nest, like a cartoon nest. Like a, a hummingbird nest looks like a cartoon. It's cute and small, and it looks like a cartoon nest, but with a little bit more of a roof. This thing, honestly, it does. It looks like a bag of dead rodents. But the really weird thing that I saw yesterday was, so... All right, time check. I'm, ha I'm having an allergy attack. So before I go to the doctor, I'm going to take an allergy pill, and then we'll resume this conversation later, trust me. But so I'm driving to get the kids yesterday, and I was running a little late, which is always the case. And so I admit I do a fair amount of speeding on this one stretch of road, Jefferson Boulevard. 
which is between our house and the kids' house or the kids' school, and I take Jefferson, and Jefferson's straight, and it has, but it has a lot of lights. But if you hit the lights, then you can get going, and you kind of uh, okay. So, sorry about the sniffing. So, I'm on my way, and I'm da- I'm going down Jefferson, and I'm kind of, you know, I'm I'm kind of in a hurry, and I notice someone in even a bigger hurry than me. And I, it catches my eye because it's this black BMW, late model kind of five series BMW, kind of weaving around a little bit and kind of coming right up on people's asses and then changing lanes really fast. And I look over and in true Los Angeles style, the windows are down and there's this, this attractive blonde woman, kind of dirty blonde hair with big black sunglasses on. And she's in a big hurry, right? But just really like right out of a TV show, this chick, right? So, so she's trying to go fast and she's changing lanes and the lights are right really getting her so i'm sitting and i'm thinking how she looks kind of like this woman that i used to know who uh well whatever anyway so then i realize that as i'm daydreaming and thinking how about how late i am to get the kids i hear a police siren so like a not not like a, a California. See, in in Los Angeles, when, the law is when you hear the siren on a police or emergency vehicle, you're to pull to the right. And I don't think that should be a shock to you because that's probably exactly what you do where you live, unless you're in England. But here in, the, I, I think it's safe to assume most of the United States, if you hear a cop coming or a fire truck or an ambulance, where you're supposed to get over to the right so they can pass. But what happens in Los Angeles, at least, is everyone hears the siren and then they just stop. Wherever they are, they just stop. They don't pull over. They stop. I don't know why, but that's what happens. So every time I hear a siren, I try to pull over safely, even though I'm surrounded by a bunch of people who aren't pulling over. They're just stopping. But I do pull over. Because this car is right behind me and it is moving fast. So I pull over and he goes whizzing by. And I think, wow, well, you know, that chick that's in such a hurry, she's going to get, right, a speeding. I wonder if that, well, I realize that she really hasn't been making it very far. As much as this woman is racing, she's only right up ahead of me. So... I pull out back into traffic and then this big semi pulls back out because it's a big semi road too because it's wide and straight and doesn't have many trees and all that. And then the BMW chick pulls out and we end up being side by side at the next light. And I look over at her because I want to, right? She's a hot chick and she's in this huge hurry. No, listen, an attractive woman in a huge hurry, in a luxury sports sedan on Jefferson Boulevard at that time of day is not that shocking. Trust me. Because like me, all the mom, right, are going to get their kids at the school. But this is not a mom. She's younger and she's just, the way she's done up and everything is just not. So I look over because I she's just so L.A. Hollywood and I, I don't know, and I want to see if she's still in this huge, and she's not in a hurry anymore. The cops have gone by and I look over at her because she's not in a hurry. The car is just sort of slowly coming to its stop. And I look over and she's laughing. 
And she's kind of rocking back and forth in the front seat laughing. And she looks, her windows are down. Remember I say her windows are down and my windows are halfway down because it's warm yesterday. And she looks over at me and she's laughing and she's like, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. And then she pulls away. I think she was running from the cops. I think she was running from the cops. And that's why she was in such a hurry. And then the cop blew by her because she had pulled over to the right and a semi had pulled over to the right too, blocking the cop's view of her as she's literally parked at the side of the road. The cop blows by on Jefferson. And then she just very slowly... Uh uh uh. She moved over to the left. I think she probably went over to the left and then did a U turn and went back. I have never seen anything like that. I mean, I've seen car chases on TV, but those are these long, dragged out things, and it's usually some pot bellied guy at the end that gets out and gets his ass kicked by the cops. This was like, this was, it was out of a movie. It was right out of a movie, except no cameras. <laughs> So what can I get into with you? I got to take another drink. I'm sorry. I'm really having an allergy attack. It's that time of year. So I'm walking down the street reading a script. Now these, I don't know if you remember Seth and Nathan Anderson. Seth and Nathan Anderson are these two filmmakers that I know that live here in L.A. That I met through podcasting, Bob. Anyway, so I'm walking down the street and I'm reading their latest script. They're going to make a feature. And they have a part in this feature for me. It's an awesome script. And it's an awesome role. And if I, I, every day I'm like, please, Lord, God, Buddha, William Shatner, whoever's in charge of the universe, please make this film happen. Please make this role happen. Please. It's awesome. And I'm walking down the street reading the script on, this, on, on the iPad. And... I hear a bird chirping very loudly off my right ear, and I turn to look, and there's a bird who's decided to attack me. And I don't know if, again, I guess because it's egg season, this bird is t uh, literally attacking me. I don't know where its nest is. I am walking by a big tree, but this bird is going apeshit on me. Literally, I'm defending myself. From a bird attack, like I'm in a Hitchcock movie, by swinging my hat and my iPad around at this stupid bluebird, or whatever it was. It was it was, and I kind of thought like, oh, maybe it's just swooping near me. And I turn and look, and it's got it's it's looking at me and tweeting really loud and flapping its wings, like get out. So I just start yelling, I don't want your stupid eggs. Back off. But I'm very excited about this this movie. I hope they do it. If you have a million dollars, by the way, could you send it to Seth Anderson, traditional spelling, uh, care of Los Angeles? That'd be awesome. Thank you. So my wife and I, uh, so our daughter's birthday was recently. Did we get into any of this? I don't remember. My, my daughter's birthday was recently. It was uh, beginning of April. Was recently? Yeah, that's... You know, are you ever recording something in your garage and you're speaking what you think is normal English and then you'll say a word and you go, is that the word? Is word? Is word the word for word? Word, W-O-R-D. Is that right? All right, my wife, my, my, my daughter had a birthday. We, we, weren't, we wanted to do something kind of special for her. 
Uh, and she really likes the TV show Psych. And I feel like we've talked about this, but we haven't talked about the whole story. Trust me. So here's the whole story. So she really likes this TV show Psych. And we all do. But she's really a fanatic of Psych. And it's a TV show about a guy who pretends to be psychic and it's not the mentalist. It's the funny one with Dulé Hill and James Roday, right? It's on the USA Network and we highly recommend it. If you have Netflix streaming, you know, like five seasons worth is on Netflix. So dig in. So she really likes Psych. And my wife and I are talking and we think, you know, wouldn't it be awesome if we could get just something from Psych, some insider thing, instead of just buying her the Psych toaster that she wants, which we really don't want to have around the house. No offense to the Psych people or the toaster people, frankly. We just don't need a Psych toaster in the house. Because we can't have Tulu making Psych toast in her bedroom. It's not, it's not going to happen. So we want to get some sort of autograph, some some sort of that kind of thing, a direct thing from the TV show. Now, an old friend of mine used to be one of the producers on the show early, early on, but he and I have really lost contact. He doesn't work on the show anymore. He's on Glamour Girl or something. And it just would be a very weird phone call to call Joe and be like, hey, Joe, remember uh, eight years ago when you worked on Psych for six months? Do you still know James Roday? You know what I mean? That would just be too weird. But we remembered that Last year, our kids went to school with the daughter of one of the guys that's on the show quite a bit. And he plays a character named Woody. And this actor's name is Kurt Fuller. So Kurt Fuller's daughter used to go to the same school the kids go to. Now she graduated. So she doesn't go there anymore, but she did. And that was just enough because I never met him. We never had reason to cross paths. Um, But it was just enough of a thing where like, okay, listen, it's not okay. Because they went to school together, we do have his email address. We do. That's true. We do in the directory, the student parent directory. We do have Woody from Sykes email address. Maybe we'll just email him a very gracious, simple thing, which we did. So we wrote Woody from Psych and we said, Dear Kurt, our kids used to go to school together and we hate to bug you about this and it's no big deal if you're too busy because we know you're very busy and we know, but our daughter's birthday is coming up and she's a huge fan of Psych and of you and of everyone on the show. And if you could, if you could just send us your autograph on something, that would be awesome. And I'm pretty sure we kind of left it at that. Because honestly, if we had gotten his autograph on a post-it note, that would have been, I mean, she would have been thrilled. We would have taken the post-it note, we would have framed it, and we would have, you know, whatever. And, and it would have been great. Or like one of his headshots or something. I mean, she wouldn't have cared. She, Yeah, if he had sent her a headshot with his signature, she would have thought we were the coolest people that ever lived. So he wrote us back and he said, no problem, no problem. But, you know, the main stars of the show, James Roday and Dooley Hill, they're not in town right now. But a couple of the other people are and I am. So let me see what I can do. I'm on Woody's on the case. Now, I'm thrilled, but I'm also a little starting to feel bad because this we don't know. (laughs) He's not a friend of ours. 
We don't know him. We have never met him. My son vaguely knows his daughter, I think. But he is saying, I'm going to see what I can do. I mean, he's really, he really is kind of taking this on. He's on the case. Now, I know Kurt Fuller as an actor, as an actor, but I know him as an actor not just from Psych, but from Psych and from um, Midnight in Paris and Wayne, I mean, Wayne's World. And almost, he's one of those guys that's been in almost an infinite number of things. He's one of those guys that for the last, let's say, 20 years, 25 years, maybe more. I don't know. He's just he's worked. He's just he's a guy that you're like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. So if you ever see Psych, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I've seen that guy in 100,000 things. But he was in, you know, you saw Midnight in Paris, right? I mean, please tell me, my Lord God, that you saw Midnight in Paris. You did, right? You know what I'm talking about? Woody Allen? Woody Allen. This guy has worked with Woody Allen. Do you understand why I might be a little reticent to have him running errands for me? Yes, Kurt, when you're done when you're done doing press for Woody Allen, do you mind, um, you know, running around? And, oh, God. So I'm starting to like, oh, I hope he doesn't go out of his way too much because this is just not, uh, you know, like that. So he keeps in touch. So a couple weeks later, no, it wasn't a couple weeks later. It really wasn't. It was like maybe one week later or not even. It was really fast. He says that he was able to get the autographs that he wanted. Uh, uh, not the, like, like I say, the two main guys, main, main, main guys were out of town. But he got his, he, he signed something and two of the other main stars signed this thing as well. So basically of the two, four, six people that are the stars of the show, seven people that are stars of the show, three of them signed this thing. And it turns out it's a T-shirt for my daughter. So my wife writes him back and says, oh, my gosh, this is so kind. And uh, please don't go out of your way any further. This is ridiculous. Uh, tell us where we can uh, pick it up or whatever. Or you can send it or what, however you feel. Because, again, we don't know. We don't know. Fuller. We don't. We don't. <laughs> right. So he says to her, maybe we can meet somewhere. And I can give it to you or give it to your daughter or whatever. So. One day after school. I pick up the kids and I say, OK, so uh, Tulu, we got to rush you off to dance. I think it was a Wednesday, so I think we had a little extra time. Tulu, I got to get you to dance. Uh, and then H, I get, you know, because Hudson likes to be dropped off at the house now because he's old enough to be home alone. Holy crap. So we're driving home. We're on Jefferson. There's no blonde in a BMW evading the cops. We're just on Jefferson, but we're going back home. And I say to the kids, oh, shoot, you know what? I forgot. I've got to, uh, I got to go to Starbucks. I got to get a gift certificate for someone, you know, one of those gift cards. So hold on. Listen, it's going to take five minutes. So I pull into Starbucks and my daughter says, do I have to come in? I'm like, yeah, you both have to come in. I can't, I'm not leaving you in the parking lot of Starbucks. It'll be five seconds. Just come with me. So we go to the front of Starbucks and there's Kurt Fuller. Woody from Psych. And we all say hello. 
and my daughter is in utter shock. So I introduce myself, I introduce Tulu. Kurt introduces himself to Hudson because I'm so focused on Tulu and making sure she doesn't pass out that I don't even say, oh, and this is Hudson. Just such a stereotypical, horrible scene of like, oh, him, Kurt Fuller having to say, oh, and I'm Kurt. (laughs) Oh, okay. So I had brought, because we had told Tulu that some of this was happening. So her suggestion was we bring him a pineapple because that's kind of this running gag on the show. So we, she, I give her the pineapple that I had snuck behind her back to the Starbucks and she gives it to Kurt Fuller. And Kurt Fuller kind of makes this big presentation of the shirt, which I thought was just wonderful. He was just so sweet. He's like, well, you know, Tulu, people that are really huge fans of the show, if we hear that they're having a birthday, we try to do something really special. And we heard it was your birthday, and he pulls out the shirt, and it is this huge, some kind of limited edition psych slumber party t-shirt. And it's signed by him and the guy that plays Lassiter, whose last name always escapes me. I'm sorry, Tim O'Odmanson. And Maggie Lawson, who plays Juliet. And she is just thrilled. And then Kurt, because I didn't, you know, you know what's going to happen, but you don't really want to ask, especially in L.A. And it's just kind of a weird, like we sort of know, right, have mutual whatever, right, not paths, but like, you know what I mean? Like our kids went to school together, so now to take fan pictures seems a little weird. You know what I mean? We're in this weird gray area. Where he's not just a guy that we saw at Disneyland or some celebrity on the street, right? We so, but luckily he's like, "Hey, do you guys want to get some pictures together?" I'm like, "Yes, thank, yes, thank you, yes." Clearly, he's done this before, which is great because he's a, such a professional. I mean, obviously, when you've been in thirty thousand movies, this has probably come up. So, a couple of pictures of Tulu with him. Hudson's kind of hanging back. He declines a picture. Tulu takes another picture. Kurt says he's going to tweet a picture of the two of them with the pineapple. And then Hudson even rises to the occasion, which I didn't think he would because Kurt was even like, hey, do you want to do you want a picture with me? Or are you too cool already? And Hudson's like, I don't know. I'm too cool. So Hudson was even like, you know, I'd like to take a picture of picture with you. That'd be great. I was just blown away by the whole thing. I mean, I got to say, Kurt Fuller, and again, Kurt Kurt Fuller, you know, he's not a big celebrity like George Clooney. Don't get me wrong. But, but this is a very successful, in in my uh, mind, and maybe it's because I'm a bald character actor. This guy's a very successful actor. He's worked, I mean, once you've worked with Woody Allen, honestly, in my, in my book, you're in this club, this other just... Pantheon? Is that the word I'm looking for? You're you're in an echelon, elite. You're in a group. You're in a part of a cult that you, right? There's no arguing like, yes, he has worked with Woody, the man. So for an actor that, that works as, he could easily have just said, listen, I would love to help you out. I'll email you my autograph on my headshot, but I'm really busy because I'm heading up to such and such to shoot. So, you know what I mean? Like he is a, he is a busy guy. So for him to, to have excitedly by the sound of it, I mean, these emails we were getting, 
take it upon himself to get this shirt and have it signed by the two other castmates, sign it himself, and then literally meet and present it to my daughter was, I, you know, I don't even know what to say. I really, I really don't. It was so above and beyond the call of duty. He's a, a true gentleman. And, uh, I mean, just, uh, you know, whatever. Now, it turns out that my son and his daughter will be going to school together next year, coincidentally. So I hope to see him again and thank him again for what what could be in his mind a very small gesture, but to me it was really huge. I mean, it really was. And, I mean, it, it's something that I, I guess I might do from one of my listeners, but I, but I'm a podcaster. I just sit in my, you understand it's a whole different thing than being a professional Hollywood, like film and television, constantly actor, constantly actor. You know what I mean? I come right through because of podcasting. That's a normal thing to me for him. I in that world. I don't know that that's that normal. Like get a t-shirt and sign it and give it to some girl at Starbucks just because her kid, right? Absolutely wonderful. Anyway, I got to go to the doctor. I'll be back later. So anyway, so I'm back. Now, since we last spoke, and I again, I know for you, 10 seconds. Maybe not even. Maybe three seconds. Maybe f- four to eight measures of some loop that I pulled out of uh, Soundtrack Pro or Garage, but whatever. Some loop that I put in there. So for you, it was a moment in time, a couple of blips, maybe a little synthesizer, some funky drum. I have no idea. It doesn't even exist. In my world, that thing that you just heard, it's not even happened yet. That's in a half hour. For you, it's uh, 10 seconds, 20 seconds ago, 34 seconds ago, to be precise. Uh, For me, it's in uh, 35 minutes. My point is, so since I last spoke to you, not since... uh, 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 I left here, I went to the doctor, and I did get the dog. I did end up uh, taking the dog with me because I thought that would make my wife happy. And as it turns out, it did. It made my wife very happy. And um, But let's back up. So, so we spoke earlier. I think I told you about the hot rod blonde. I told you about uh, Kurt Fuller. And I told you about being attacked by a bird. I told you about not destroying a bird nest subsequent to prior to being attacked by the bird. Now, I don't know why the bird attacked me. I don't know if this is some holdover from the time that I found the dead crow in the driveway and then I moved the dead crow and then all the crows in the neighborhood thought I killed the crow because they all were lined up in my backyard on the line there on the electrical wire watching me move the dead crow like I did something to the crow. So I don't know if this weird blue bird attack thing, I don't know if that had something to do with Jimmy the dead crow. I don't know. So we spoke about that before. You remember, because it was 10 seconds ago. Again, for you, it was 10 seconds, I know. And then so I rushed out of the house because it, when we last were talking and I stopped talking, it was ele- it was 10.45. And I had a doctor's appointment at 11 o'clock. Now, this doctor, right, the one over at uh, Kobe McGuire, I'm sniffing again. I'm sorry. I haven't sniffed all day. Maybe, I, maybe I'm allergic to this studio. That's bad news. Kobe McGuire is about uh, 10 seconds from here by way of car. 
So it wasn't that big a deal. So I, I leave here and I go into the house and I get ready to go. And I make the realization that I've been so busy today already. I got up early and I went for what I call a walk run, which means I, I start out strong. I, I leave the house, I get all dressed and I leave the house. I lock the door. I go to the end of the driveway and I do a couple of tunk, trunk twists, you know, get the kinks out of the old spinal column. And then I run down our street towards the stop sign. I take a left and I run with this enthusiasm and this uh, joie de vivre, this je ne sais quoi, this uh, j'aurai toujours femme de toi, like I'm going to run, like I'm going for a run, like I can really run. Now, luckily, that's downhill, so I get a good look. Maybe the neighbors think that I really got something going on. And then I turn the corner. I turn a couple. Eventually, I die. So I, I run for maybe half a block. A block, I don't know, because it's, it's a weird little twisty thing, so I can't really measure it for you. But what I'm saying is I walk, I, I run with determination for a very short time, and then I walk for a very long time trying not to throw up. So that's what I did at 6.05 this morning. So at 6.05 this morning, I was very determined to get up. I went for my running puke walk. I listened to the time. You know the time, right? More stay in the time. Now, did you even know this? I don't know if it's your job to tell me and you're the one that's dropped this ball here or something. Obviously, it's my fault, but I just don't, I don't understand how these things happen. Now, I've been a big fan of the time. You know what I mean by the time. Minneapolis funk band created by Prince, fronted by Morris Day, The Time, You Saw Purple Rain. You know what I'm talking about. Don't act like you don't know. The Time, okay? I think I even have all their, well, I have at one time or another had all their albums. I don't think I currently do. And all my stuff. The point is, The Time came out with a new album about a year and a half ago, and you didn't say anything. You didn't say anything, you didn't tweet it, you didn't Facebook it, you didn't post a video, you didn't do anything. And no one mentioned it to me, and I think even, didn't I go see Prince live in concert within the last year and a half? You'd think it would have come up. So has it been that long since we went to see Prince and then we saw Prince? You know what I mean by Prince, Rogers Nelson. The, the, he's a diminutive, right, African-American, Puerto Rican pop superstar of the 80s. And 90s, Prince. I don't know how this can happen that a year and a half can go by with a new Time album. The first studio album, right? The first new album by the time in 20 some odd years. Since probably the, what, the early ni- mid 90s, early mid 90s. No one says a thing. So that's what I did. I got up at six and I listened to the Time, the new Time record that's a year and a half old. Now, because Prince... And, and, you know, we love you, Prince. But apparently Prince, uh-huh. and maybe this is why I didn't figure it out, Prince. And, and it's all your fault, Prince. The time is no longer called the time. Because apparently they're not allowed to record as the time unless they are still betrothed to Prince. But I don't know if they've broken up with Prince somehow. They don't want to give him a cut of the money. I don't know what's happening. But now when they record... They're not allowed to be, quote-unquote, the time, even if those same exact people, as far as I understand, those same exact men, if they were to go on the road and promote their new record, which was not a time record, but their new album, if they go on tour, they can call themselves the time. 
but they can't record as the time because maybe then they have to give Prince money. I don't know. So now the time is called the original seven. And of course, it's spelled in weird. It's like original and then the number seven and then a V-E-N. So it's seven-ven. So the original seven-ven is the time. But no one told me the time had a new record and no one told me about the original seven-ven and nobody told me. But apparently it's all the original guys and I can't name the original guys, but I'm going to tell you right now, the record includes, it does include Jellybean Johnson, Jesse Johnson, and Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Okay? And then the white guy. The white guy's in there too. You know what I mean. The white guy who played synthesizers, they'd always say, horns, like it was horns because it was the 80s. And you would say, in the 80s, kids, what would happen is one, one of the people in the band would say something like, horns, and then the guy would play the synthesizer on the horns setting. And that qualified in the 80s as horns. So the original seven is those guys. It's Apparently, I do know all their names, except for, I don't know Monty's name. Okay, I know Monty's name, but I, I don't know his last name. So there's Monty, the white guy. There's Jellybean Johnson, the drummer. Jesse Johnson, guitar. Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, internationally known superstar producer, songwriters. Did you know they wrote Tender Love? I didn't even know that till three days ago. You know that song Tender Love from Crush Groove? Am I showing my age? Yes, I am. I don't care. Tender love, tender love, love so tender. That song, they wrote that. Jimmy Jam, pay attention. Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis wrote that song. So as upset as I am about this whole time thing and you not mentioning it, I will say that the album is so good that I'm thrilled that I've discovered it and I listen to it when I try to run. And it's really good. And if you like the time, I'm telling you, it might be the best time album It's definitely the best time album in the last 20 years. Don't get me wrong. But it might be the best time album. I mean, it has elements of all the albums. The first album, What Time Is It? The Ice Cream, right? Their contributions to, wasn't that on Ice Cream? Yeah, Ice Cream Castles, Pandemonium. It's a little bit of everything. And even some rockier stuff. I'm telling you, it's good. If you like the time, buy it right now. It's called... Condensate, which we will discuss at another date. So anyway, so my plan for the day, right? I get up at six, six or five, I'm out, I'm running, I'm listening to Morris Day and I'm running and then not throwing up and then I'm just walking and panting, I'm sweating, I'm sweating, sweating and I go in the house and then I got to wake up the kids, right? So I got to, I try to wake up Tulu and then I try to wake up Hudson and then I go back to Tulu, try to wake her up and then I go back to Hudson, try to wake him up, then I go back to Tulu, try to wake her up. Now, Melissa and I are both, we're double teaming Tulu, try to get her to wake up. Finally, she will wake up because, you know, I've put on I Love Lucy. We're beating her. We're kissing her. We're spanking her. We're doing, we're shaking her. We're annoying her. We're pleased, everything. So we finally, the, both the kids get up. I feed them. And then today they both had field trips. So for one reason or another, their food situation was a little different. It was actually kind of an easy food day. Get them to school. Get them to school on time. I'm trying to fit it all in, America. So I go straight from dropping them off to the grocery store because we got some groceries that we need, right? We're getting a little low on regular type of yogurt and the type of yogurt with the fruit flavors in it. And I wanted to get a cucumber for because my friend Brom, he recommended cucumber in your water because I've been drinking lemon in my water. It's Lou and I talked about cucumber. And so she wanted to try cucumber in her water too. So now because of Brom, I got to buy a couple cucumbers. But no big deal, Brom, because we're really excited about trying cucumbers in our water. We had to get some seltzer water, some OJ, some fat-free hazelnut coffee additive 
etc. So I do that. Then I go home. Then I'm so excited to talk to you that I come in the studio and I talk to you. And I talk to you right up until the time I have to leave to go to the doctor. So I leave the conversation that we're having mid-conversation and I go in the house and I go in the back door and I shut the back door and I realize that I never factored in that I should take a shower. So I have now... Now, I, I showered yesterday, but I have now got up at the crack of dawn and I have perspired profusely in my walk, run, walk, run, Morris Day. You know, I, in all seriousness, I don't feel like I'm going to throw up, but I do run and then I walk and then I try to run and then I try to walk and I try. So I, I do, you know, I condensate. I'm so cool. If you're as cool as Morris Day and me, um, we don't sweat. We condensate. You'll figure that out later. But let's just say that I was covered in condensation. So so <laughs> I really probably should have hit the showers before going to the doctor's office. Now, granted, the doctor was only going to be examining my forearm. But still, I really think that there's a patient doctor courtesy that there's sort of an unwritten law that you really you both will have bathed. But I'm making this realization at quarter of the appointment and I can't get in and out of the shower in 15 minutes. Now, you would think a guy that doesn't shave very often and is bald, he could get in and out of the shower very quickly. But no, there is just kind of like this weird certain amount of time. It's about three songs worth that I end up in the shower. I don't know if I'm Cosmo Kramer. I don't know what because I'm not doing any, you know, really anything fancy in there. But I must wash myself three or four times. That must be what's going on. I go in and I got to get used to the water. And then you get and then you know, do the hair, then do the face and then do the body and then do the face again with a different thing, and then go, oh, did I do my armpits? And do the armpits, and like, oh, maybe I should go back over my feet or some other areas. And then, and then, and then wait, did I wash my, did I wash my hair? He's like, right, it's like that. So 15 minutes to get to the shower, and it's not happening. So I frantically go in, I wash my face, and I get the hell, I go over to the doctor's office. And of course, on my way out of the house, not only am I not showered, and I face wash and all and, uh, But my wife starts texting me, like I said before, about bringing the dog to her office. And I'm like, eh, and, I'm, and, I'm av- and I'm avoiding, as I told you, the topic of the doctor that I am going to. So she says, you know, can you bring the dog, but don't feel like you have to or whatever. Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, well, listen, I, gotta, I can't keep texting. I'm going to the doctor because of my arm. And she says, why? What's wrong with your arm? The communication skills that I possess, because I'm going to put this on me. I think I told my mother, but I don't know that I ever actually told my wife that my arm was bothering me. Probably because she was out of town and has much more important things to worry about. But I don't think I ever told my wife that I felt like I was losing function in one of my limbs. So I finally copped to her and I typed in a text. Because she said, well, what doctor are you going to? I was like, I am going to see a doctor over at Kobe McGuire because they take our insurance. I asked our normal doctor, he, right, the celebrity and the thing. So I figured I'll go over to Kobe and for the price of the deductible, uh, not, de- you know, the copay, I'll get an opinion. And then if that does it, I'll go to Beverly Hills. So she was perfectly fine with that. And I went to the guy and he said, I was a little tendonitis. Don't worry about it. It'll clear up. Just don't stress it. Because I would do that every couple of days. Every couple of days, I would be like, I wonder if my arm still hurts. Ow. Yeah, I guess it does. 
So he said, leave it alone and it'll be fine. It'll be fine. So I did end up taking the dog. I took the dog to Hollywood, literally Hollywood Boulevard, literally walking with the dog in a bag because I'm not going to walk the dog on the street because he'll end up barking and pooping and I don't want to have to deal with, uh, you know, basically, you know what I'm talking, I mean, I'm talking about man's Chinese theater. I'm talking about the walk of fame and the handprints and all the crazy people dressed up as, right, Transformers and Darth Vader. I li- I saw uh, the things that I saw because I... You know, I took the dog and I met my wife at her office and then Rick and I, our friend Rick, he's a poet. So my friend poet Rick and I had lunch. Well, between the car and the office and the office and the Chinese place and the Chinese place and the office and the office and the car, I saw Potbelly Spider-Man and Anorexic Spider-Man. I saw a Transformer. I saw Michael Jackson. I saw Midget Mr. T. I saw... Darth Vader, but he was pushing a luggage cart full of luggage. I saw Elmo. Um, I didn't see Shrek today, which was kind of weird. I usually see Shrek. And then all the guys that are that are shoving their CDs in your hand. Like, here, have a CD, have a CD. And then they charge, they intimidate you with their gigantic size to pay them for the CD that you didn't want in the first place. They're probably blank. So I didn't really want to walk the dog through the scumbag character people. And I and, and listen, I want to be very clear about something. I'm not saying that they're scumbags because they dress up as characters in bootleg costumes and stand around getting their picture taken for money. I want to be very clear about that. Listen, if you want to do that as your job, that's fine. I have listen, I'm the last person that's going to judge you if you want to pretend to be, right? So it's not that you dress up as Spider-Man and stand around outside the theater. And honestly, it's not that you're anorexic and dress up like Spider-Man or pop-bellied and dress up like Spider-Man. It's the fact that you're literally scummy. I, and dress up like Spider-Man. And so that's what makes you a scumbag. It's not the Spider-Man part. And it's not the street part. And it's not even the like semi-grifting. It's none of that. It's really not. It's the fact that I don't think you've ever washed the spider suit ever. That's what makes you scummy. Now, so I got I, I got home and I just found out just now. And this, this was a really weird coincidence. And yet not. But this morning, I was um, listening to some podcasts, and one of the podcasts I listened to is called uh, Radio Lab. And Radio Lab was running a live segment that they had recorded at some place in New York, because they're in New York, and they're very cool, and they're in New York. And they were re- they were running a bit of a show that they did, where part of the show was Liev Shriver, the actor, whom you know from a hundred things. But Leah Shriver was reading something from some book and it was kind of this thing. And I had heard, actually heard it before because they were doing it in conjunction with story something, stories, I don't know, some story thing. So I'd already heard it before. And then it came on on their show because it was a dual thing and it was their time till it released it or whatever. So I'm driving along and I'm, and I'm listening to Leah Shriver and, I'm, and apparently Robert Krellwich, who's one of the hosts of Radio Lab, is really into Leah Shriver, like really man crush, like into Leah Shriver. Thinks he's the greatest living actor there is, which I don't know. And the reason I don't know is, is a couple of things. Number one, A, I'm biased because, uh, you know, my, my hat's still in the Phil Hoffman uh, camp, I think, for that award. At least for our age group, general age group. 
which Leah Shriver and I and Phil are in the general age category of the same age, I guess. And B, um, I'm still mad at Leah Shriver because he got a role in the movie Sphere back in the 90s that I wanted. I'm not going to forgive him. I'm never going to forgive him. It's not going to happen. But I'm driving along this morning, really on this morning, listening to him read about something about the moon or whatever, whatever, and thinking about how I'm still jealous, obviously, because <laughs> it's not like I had any chance in hell of getting this part in the movie sphere. I did audition for it. I, I mean, I, I'm not that I'm not insane. I don't have some absolutely, completely insane Miss right anger to Liev Shriver because he was in Sphere and I wanted to be in Sphere, but I live in Milwaukee and I'm a plumber. Isn't it's not that? It's not quite that crazy. I did audition for the role that he eventually got in the movie Sphere. Now the movie Sphere was it was based on a Michael Crichton book, and you got to understand. I mean, I had a, I had a really nice agency that I was with then, and every once in a while I would get auditions for these really cool projects. And like the like another really cool one I remember is I did audition for Office Space to be one of the Bobs. I think that was what they were called. And I did pretty well in the audition. And then I got called back and uh, I thought I was going to meet Mike Judge and I never did. He was in Texas. So I just got put on tape again. And, uh, you know, the role went to two guys that are much more famous and recognizable than I am. And that's completely understandable. Well, the same happened with Sphere. But it's one of those weird things. You know, I was in no position really to get the, the, this role. But when your agent calls you and says, I have an audition for you for a movie that they're doing, and it's based on a Michael Crichton book, and it's going to star Dustin Hoffman and Sharon Stone. Which, by the way, I don't think any of us need explained to them Dustin Hoffman. But this is in the mid-90s. So Sharon Stone was Sharon Stone. She wasn't Sharon Stone now. She was Sharon Stone then. And then Sharon Stone was... Who? I mean, right? She was Sharon Stone. She was like one of the hottest, not necessarily the most, she wasn't, you know, Meryl Streep level, but she was celebrity star level. It was like Sharon Stone. So when your agent calls and says, you have the the tiny, tiny, tiniest little chance of being in a movie where you'd be cramped on a set on something that's supposed to be underwater with with Dustin Hoffman and Sharon Stone, and then it turns out like Samuel L. Jackson. Trust me, you you somehow managed to carry that around with you for the next fifteen years. Really jealous of Leah Shriver. So anyway, so I just got home with the kids from school. You know, picking them up, and it's Friday, and they want my laptop to play Minecraft because it's Friday, and that's their weekend. Their weekend starts with Minecraft. So I'm now recording into my recorder, not the laptop, as you have surmised. And I get an email from my current agent, and she says, do you want to go out for this role? And she gives me a script, and it's a script for the Liev Shriver. Apparently, Liev Shriver has a Showtime TV show. Did you know that? I didn't even know that. Obviously, we don't have Showtime, or I would be on top of this thing. Because by the look of it on the information thing, he's about nine episodes in. And, and just to give you an idea then of how unlikely it was that I was going to end up in Sphere. Liev Shriver is Liev Shriver, who's done all these movies and he's directed this and he's produced that. And, blah, 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 and now he has his own TV show on Showtime. 
And I have an audition Monday for two lines on his show. And I couldn't be more happy. But boy, I wanted Sphere. I mean, I was just so scared. I I would have crumbled. They would have had to replace me. I, I mean, I really wouldn't have survived it. I was so new to professional acting, like TV, film acting at that point. I wouldn't. I honestly wouldn't have survived it. I don't. I really don't think so. I would have had some kind of mental breakdown. God, it would have been great though. Dustin Hoffman and Samuel Jackson and Sharon Stone and Queen Latifah and me. Oh my God, that would have been insane. But this time last week, I got, my agent called me. And when I say call, she really probably emailed and texted me, but it sounds better if I say call. It sounds more indirect, but really it was probably an email. But she emails me and she said, and with an audition for two parts, two different parts in a movie. And, and the, the top of the email said something like, do you want to do this? Um, you know, because they want to meet you or whatever. Now, I think that's kind of a stupid question because in my, I, I, because I'm not Liev Shriver. So the answer is, yeah, what, what yeah, I mean, is, unless there's, you know, nudity or something, right? I, yeah, pretty sure. I mean, is it a legitimate production? Yeah, I want I probably want to do it. So I look at the, you know, the name of the thing and the description of it and what the roles are. And one of the roles is for the role of a pastor, which doesn't inherently give me pause um, except that I realize fairly quickly that the movie is a Christian movie. It's not a, what we'll call for lack of a better term, secular movie. It is a Christian, meaning religious movie, a faith-based film. Now, so... To there's just something really intimidating, for whatever reason, about auditioning for the role of a pastor in a religious, I'm going to call it faith-based, in a faith-based film. Because as you know, I am not a pastor. Now, I, you know, don't exactly lead a hedonistic life, but... I have not conducted myself in that manner. And I don't spend much time with pastors or priests of any kind. Although I I suppose I have, you know, I have a couple friends, you know, a a handful of friends that are incredibly religious. One of my friends, as you know, is a celebrity priest. But but aside from that, I mean, directly day to day, playing a pastor just seems intimidating. Intimidating because... um, because I have, because I do respect my friends of faith, and because I would never, um, I'd never want to be disrespectful, accidentally or on purpose, of that sort of thing. You know, I I try to not be a youthful wise ass about that kind of stuff anymore. Every once in a while, I am, and I slip up, and I pay the price, and that's true, but. I'm trying in my old age to be open-minded and respectful of everyone, no matter what, and, and see everything from every which way. 
So, and then the other the other character, like I say, is a, like a journalism professor or whatever. But in this faith based movie, so I so she sends me the whole script, and I read the whole script, and the whole script is a faith based. It's not like a family movie. It's a faith based movie. It's about creationism and evolution. That's what it's about. Like there's no, uh, right? So I'm not really, I mean, I want to do it, but I'm feeling kind of like, am I really, am I going to pass any kind of screening of these people? Like, so Dan, what's your situation? I would have that, right? I mean, what? Uh, uh. truth is I don't want to talk about it with anyone. I don't talk about that with anyone. I've told you more than I've told anyone and it was many episodes ago, and I don't want to get into it again because it's a very weird and personal thing. And um, I don't want to get into it with anyone. But I really would like to do this movie. And I read the script, and and the parts are very large that I'm auditioning for. And I think to myself, listen, everybody's intentions are fantastic, and this would be a great opportunity for me. It would be a great work experience. I'd probably meet some great people. It turns out they've already got Harry Anderson to do the movie. You know Harry Anderson? He was in Night Court. Stand-up comedian Harry Anderson who was in Night Court. He was on Cheers a bunch of times. And then he was in, what was it called, Dave's World, where he played essentially a sitcom version of Dave Barry, humorist Dave Barry. So Harry Anderson's going to be in it, and then one of the guys from Texas Ranger who's not Chuck Norris, African-American actor whose name slips in my mind again, I'm so sorry. So... So I decide that, excuse the uh, metaphor, hell or high water. Yeah, I'm going to hell for saying that, aren't I? Come hell or high water, I'm going to do my best on this audition. But it's literally five, six pages. One of the um, one of the pages is a two thirds of a page, you know, monologue. But luckily, I'm doing this. I'm finding this out the same day that I sat down with, um, how do I, how do I explain this? So at my old karate school, there was the master, the grand, excuse me, the grand master. And his title is Kancho. We call him Kancho. That's his title. Kancho means a couple things in Japanese. And I won't get into the other meaning unless you already know it and you're laughing already. But Kancho means he's the grand master. And then under the grand master, they're his shahandai. Now, shahandai means second master. Okay. So, at our in our karate system, shahandai is shahandai. So, and shahandai is this, you know, uh, 30, 35. Yeah, you know, I, I have no idea how old shahandai is, to tell you the truth. But he's younger than me, but he's, um, you know, this very young, good looking karate master. Okay. But, like, literally, if you were casting a Japanese American, karate master in like your tv show this is the guy, this is the guy you would get you know what i mean i'll, I'll have to show you a picture of him someday so anyway so that friday i had met with chahandai about he, he's having me help him with some postcards for his dojo and then i'm gonna put a new website together for him so we we had been together that afternoon talking about that sort of thing and then we had a brief discussion about um the fact that he's very very devout Christian and that it's very important to him. And he goes overseas and works with missionaries, saving orphans in the Philippines or somewhere. I mean, it's really, you know, 
And so we didn't really get too into it on Friday, but he, you know, he's having me put a Christian fish on the postcards and on the website in case people want to talk about it. Now, if they don't, he's not going to talk about it. But if they, he wants people that do want to talk about it to know that that's something he is very interested in discussing with them. So, right, if you're in, you're in. If you're out, don't worry about it. That kind of thing. So I happened to mention to Shandai that I had this audition coming up for this Christian movie. Isn't that a strange coincidence because we were just talking about your faith and whatever. So he very adamantly said, I want to help you with this audition in any way you can. And I think I even mentioned that one of the roles was a pastor. So he had, tell, tell me how and when I can help you because I want to talk to you about this. So we got together. I was too busy, I think, on the weekends. We ended up getting together, I think it was Monday night, and talking about Christianity. And, um, you know, what that, what, what that means to Christians, how that's different from the Christian, you know, and I don't really know the, the true words to say about some of this stuff, so forgive me if I'm making up my own definitions of it, but how Christianity per se may or may not differ from the other quote, the quote unquote Christian religions, but just the importance of Jesus. And, you know, if you don't believe in Jesus, where you're going, eternal lake of fire. And if you do believe in Jesus, where you're going, not the eternal lake of fire. And, um, you know, sin and original sin and how we all have sin and Jesus died for our sins and all this stuff. But, but it was very, it was very good to sit down with someone who uh, is very devoted to it, but who just kind of ran me through the whole thing in a very succinct and clear manner. And I guess I kind of understood, you know, basically, but really to get the, the, the basic outline, just like boom, boom, this is what we believe. We believe God created everything. We believe Adam and Eve sinned. We believe that we sin all the time and that for even tiny sins, we're going to a lake of fire for all of eternity. But God brought, you know, sent down Jesus. He died for our sins. So if we believe in Jesus, then we can go to heaven. But otherwise, you're uh, screwed. Which makes me understand Christians more because basically, right, the reason Christians want to save your soul is because they want to save your soul. They, they, right? Because, and, and the Christians that I know have never pushed anything on me ever. But you do get this feeling like that they would be more than happy to talk to you about it. And it really is if you just stop and think about it. Yeah, if they truly believe the, the, that, the, if they tr are true Christians, which means they truly believe they are believers, right? Then they do truly believe that you're, you are going to spend eternity writhing in agony in a lake of fire. And they want to save you from that. Now, whether I believe in that or, or not is irrelevant. Because the fact remains that people believe that. And in my quest to understand other people, I thought that was very interesting. Now, again, I could have explained that to you for the last 30, 35, 40 years. But just something about the clarity with which he explained it to me was, um, it just really hit home. It really made me understand 
people that are true Christians, truly religious, versus the ones that are just sort of holiday religious. They're just sort of, you know, keeping up with the tradition religious. Uh, th- that's a whole separate thing. The, the people that call themselves something because that's what they were when they were kids because their parents made them. That's a whole different category. I'm talking about... I am ha- Basically, what I'm saying is I'm very happy to have what I feel like is a, is a truer understanding of Christians. So it made me feel much more comfortable about potentially playing this pastor or really just auditioning to be this pastor because the director of the film is a Christian. He obviously makes these films for a reason because he is a believer. So I didn't want to meet this man and be disrespectful and or, or, or not understand where he's coming from. Which now I kind of feel like I do. And um, so I really worked on the part. I 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 really have trouble memorizing lines. And I was really worried about memorizing lines. And part of what happens is when I get an audition like this, I get very excited. Meaning happy, excited, but also just um, elevate, you know, like, right? Mm. Like all the pistons start to fire. But that causes this mental shutdown in a way where I'm opening up somehow emotionally and mentally, but shutting down a little. And so words won't stick. And I tried memorizing the words this way. I'm memorizing the words that way. I'm writing them down. I'm, I'm literally, I typed out all the, the lines, see if that would help me. I recorded myself reading the lines and then walked around the neighborhood listening to the lines. That didn't help. Reading the lines. And basically, I had to say to my daughter, my 10-year-old daughter, how do I memorize these lines? I'm a full-grown man. I've been doing this for professionally, theoretically, for how I don't know how long. I have to go to my 10-year-old. Honey, how did you... Remember when you had that audition for Nickelodeon and you didn't know any of your lines and then I went away for like 45 minutes and then I came back to you and you had memorized the whole thing and it was like four pages. How did you do that? And she said, Dad, I just memorized the two first words and then I memorized the next word with it and then I memorized the next word with it and then I, and then I have the whole sentence and then I start the next sentence until I have that whole thing and I just keep going. So I'm like, that sounds so stupid. <laughs> I know, but, but how do you do it? She's like, no, that's how I do it. And I'm like, okay. And I, so I sat down and just did it that way, just drumming it into my head, word by word, one word at a time, two words, three words from, it worked. So, so the audition is on Wednesday. So I've been busting my head against the wall and I've been doing this, I'm meeting with Shahandai, I'm reading Genesis, I'm studying my lines, I'm doing all the right all this research on pastors and college professors and I'm thinking back to my old journalism professors in college and what they said and what they were like. Blah, 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 blah. And it's the day of the audition and the audition is really close to my house actually, which was very convenient, I must say. Not as close as uh, as Kobe Maguire, but very close, my friend. But I'm really nervous because, not nervous, but but I just don't. I, it's a hard. They were hard parts for me for whatever reason, to, um, like I say, to get off book, to to do without, to do, without the script, and I kept. I just kept having trouble with it. I even went to a, an audition coach. 
And with him, I, I was having trouble because I kept getting lost and I couldn't just sort of bridge the gap from one line to the next line. Now, part of it could have been that I was a little intimidated by this audition coach. That's always a good thing, too. I need an audition coach. What I'll do is I'll get a recommendation to go to the one of the top audition coaches, and then I'll be so intimidated by him that I won't act, right? So I'm, I'm supposed to be doing my half-hour audition coaching, and I'm telling him how much I like one of his books. But actually, I did get a lot out of it, so don't, don't get me wrong, okay? So I went and saw him. I, came, I mean, I did everything, everything. So I go in there. And there's a guy reading in there, and I can hear him softly through the wall. And there's no one else in the waiting room, which I really like. I really, really like it when there's no one else in the waiting room. So I can hear the guy in there. And you always are told, and I believe this, that you should never listen to the person ahead of you because it might influence how you do your thing. At least that's what everyone says. Now, that is not what I do. I listen to the other guy, and this has been my experience, and it hasn't gotten me anywhere. But the last couple times that I've been able to hear the other guy, especially like when I read, I told you I, I, I had an audition for a biopic about James uh, about Charles Bukowski that James Franco was shooting. I told you that, right? The guy ahead of me was so horrible. It really boosted my confidence to hear this guy. Now, of course, I didn't get the role. He probably got the role. Who knows? I don't know who gets anything anymore. It wasn't me. Why can't James Franco just give me a... Come on, man. So I can hear the guy ahead of me, and he sounds like he's going to die. He, he sounds like I don't know what's going on. But he doesn't sound good, and he comes out of there, and I'm really kind of fearing for his life. He is not a young, healthy man. Apparently, they are seeing all types, or else I am way older than I realize. So I go in, and I meet, and the the casting director, uh, the casting assistant is in there, the casting director, I don't know who she was. But, you know, a a lovely young woman, very nice. She brings me in and introduces me to the the director of the the, the movie, who shakes my hand, which never happens. And again, this is the upside of dealing with Christians. I'm going to tell you this right now. True Christians. Because in, in Hollywood, um, they're sitting on a sofa and they're eating lunch. Well, maybe, nah, not in TV and film. In, in, in commercials, they're always eating their lunch when you go in there. But they're always sitting on a sofa. They do not get up. They do not shake your hand. That's not what's done. And, and the, the thinking is that if they shook everyone's hand, they would get sick. So don't, you never shake anyone's hand. Not the casting director, not the director, not the assistant, no one. You just don't touch anyone. That's Hollywood. Christians, apparently, you go in, they stand up, and they approach you, and they shake your hand. And you greet each other like normal people. Now, granted, at some point during your stay there, they're going to put hand sanitizer on their hand. And I don't blame them. Again, because he's going to shake what, 50 people's hands? I mean, I have no idea, right? Not offended by that at all. Loving the stand, I mean, that because that is mutual, professional, human, American respect. Stand up, look you in the eye, shake your hand, firm handshake, nice to meet you, nice to meet you, sit back down, beautiful. So he says, hey, Dan, nice to meet you, where are you from? And I say, funny you should ask. 
I'm from Rochester, New York, and I think you and I have a friend in common. And he says, what are you talking about? And I say, I went to high school with Peter Doyle. Now, my friend Peter Doyle, Peter J. Doyle, is an actor in Rochester, New York. Someone that I did indeed go to high school with who was in one of this guy's other movies. Ironically, or not, playing a priest. So maybe there's something about Rochester guys that can go in and be in this guy's movies and play priests and pastors and get the job done. So he says, oh, Peter Doyle, yeah, he was in my other movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you're from Rochester? Yes, I am. And, so, well, uh, and, he, and he says, I'm from Watertown. I'm like, wait a minute, where's Watertown? That's north of, uh, you know, kind of between Syracuse and Rochester. And I'm like, of course, Watertown. That's exactly right. So I do my thing. And it goes well. It goes really well. I'm super happy with the way it went. I was a little nervous at the beginning, but then I kind of got going because I was a little nervous about about the pastor. I'm going to tell you something. The pastor role is really straight. You know, like, not not serious, but just it's a straight role. It's a very straight role. And for me, that is harder than a role where there's a little more wackiness or something a little edgier, something a little funnier, whatever. So I did the pastor first. A little nervous at the beginning, but that went well. But anyway, then I got into it. We had a had a blast. He was very complimentary. So when I'm all done, he says, "Good job. Good job. That was really great. Yeah, your hat's really definitely in the ring." But let's so listen. I got to tell you. So the story with these roles, and this is after days of preparation, and this is just how it works. And I'm not blaming anyone. You you got to understand in context. This is how life works. But I have to tell you a story of some kind, right? So he says, <laughs> he shakes my hand, good job, and I'm about to leave. He goes, so listen, I got to tell you about these roles. I mean, that was really great. I'm going to show this tape to your brother, or my brother, who produces this. But we were, were shooting in Michigan, and we were originally going to um, cast these two roles out of Michigan, but we weren't having luck. So we thought we'd audition some people here. But I got to tell you, I don't think we have the money to fly actors from L.A. back and forth twice because that's what the schedule would require. So I think you did a great job, but I don't even know yet if I am going to cast this out of L.A. Hmm. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. But listen, that's okay. Because it was great to meet you. And uh, maybe I'll end up doing it and maybe not. Maybe you'll find someone in Michigan. Maybe not. Maybe Peter J. Doyle can fly in or drive in from Rochester. I have no idea. But I did tackle a really huge audition. I mean, like quantity huge. Not that I was going to, you know, be in a movie with Leonardo DiCaprio or something, but big in the in the terms of volume of material that I, for whatever weird reason, was having a bit of trouble with. In the beginning. So I tackled that. I did that. And the rest is up to... uh, uh, You know who. All right, thank you for sitting through another Bitterest Pill. This is Dan. I'm in my garage. 
Um, so yeah, I guess next time I'm sure I'll tell you what happens at the Liev Shriver two line audition. That should be interesting. Auditioning for two, honestly, auditioning for two lines is harder than auditioning for two pages or for four pages because two lines is brutal. But we will discuss that more later. So obviously, um, yeah, shout out to um, Peter J. Doyle and uh, Shahandai and the Christian filmmakers and Liev Shriver and Kurt, of course, especially Kurt Fuller. Woody. If you've never seen Psych, honestly, really recommend it. We really love that show. But start from the beginning. Watch the first two episodes, you know, and then you can kind of pick up wherever you want. But, um... Yeah, that's pretty much it. All right, so, uh, you know, whatever. If you pray, pray for me. If you don't pray, uh, cross your fingers. And if you don't cross your fingers... Uh, you know, don't get a little tendonitis in your forearm like I did. Okay? I just recommend that. It makes it very hard to lift uh, jugs of milk and laundry detergent. I'm telling you that right now. Okay, thank you for listening and uh, obliging me as I babble alone in my garage. Bye-bye. The Bitter's Pill is produced by Jacket Media. Makers of fine podcasts since 2004. That's 